Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Adelics? What's happening? Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy the things. Hey, uh, yeah, have a good thing. Have a good thing, you guys. Open the things. I'm doing nothing for Christmas. Zero. The only thing I remembered about Christmas, generally speaking, this time of year in the past was that everything quieted down and it felt a little desolate and lonely. Well, guess what? It's been almost a fucking year of that. So no difference, really, from where I'm sitting. Uh, I'll probably eat some bad things. That's what. Enjoy the bad things you put in your face. Merry Christmas. I'll be getting a nice present. Look, I don't look. I don't want to be edgy. How, how's it going, man? I, I hope you're doing okay. I don't think that I express perhaps enough gratitude to you folks, to the people that listen, to the people that reach out to me. I want to do that now. I want to do it right now. Okay, I want to tell you that how deeply and i'm serious i appreciate all the emails that have been sent to me in light of what i've been through this year uh all the emails that that state how much what i do makes a difference in people's lives i want to thank you for the presents for the cards for everything i swear to fucking god people the god i don't believe in i swear to fucking santa he's not real either i swear to fucking satan well that might i he he knows, he knows where I live, but I'm tremendously grateful to all of you for uh, being in my life and for reaching out to me in my time of uh, profound sadness and for, you know, listening to this show on this Christmas Eve. And I really don't think I could have made it without you. I, I came here first. Um, I've been here all along. You know, Brendan and I have been making shows New shows twice a week for over a decade, and there was no stopping it, no matter what I was going through, because in my time of need and pain, shame, panic, whatever it is, in my time of whatever I'm going through, this year, like many of you, fear, panic, grief, sadness, I came here. This is where I come. I come to this place. To me, this is a safe place. To me, this is my space. This is how I connect with myself and with with others i connect i find my way to me through you not tremendously healthy maybe a bit codependent perhaps a tad narcissistic i don't know 
But this is where I express my truth and struggle with it. And and you guys bear witness. And I think many much of the time it's entertaining. It's it's whatever it is to you connects. I just want to thank you in this holiday season for being there for me. You listeners. I feel like I should read a Whitman poem now. But I'm serious. Uh, Happy holidays. Be careful. I'm very happy today on the show. I have a, a fellow comedian, a guy I didn't know. I didn't know at all. I had never met, really. Um, our paths didn't cross. He's a younger man than I. But I was sort of uh, turned on to him because a couple of people that I know and respect, uh, Stan Hope and Kreischer, were sort of like, I, someone was edging me on to read this guy's book. Sam Talent is the fellow's name. He's a Denver comedian who wrote a real book, a novel, called Running the Light, about a comic. But I think the reason I like this book, and I'll tell you about it, is that his guy, the guy he invented, Billy Ray Schaefer, was a road comic. He was a road comic. I'll speak to him as if he's real. And this is the guy that Sam Talent invented in his book, Running the Light, that he self-published, which I'll talk to him about. But this is a guy familiar to us, comics, who started out in the system as it was established back in the day. There was a time before alt comedy and before uh, everything broke apart into uh, boutique content providing portals where everybody could build their own audience from three to thousands. There was a time where you paid your dues a certain way. And I've talked about this. You guys have heard this. You know, you came up through the clubs. You did your open mics. You did your uh, opening spots. You did your feature spots. You did your road work as a feature, as an opener, and then as a headliner, A room, B room, new headliner, old headliner. That was the system. And then you did the road. And this guy that Sam created, Billy Ray Schaefer, is a road comic. A road comic that had his moment and then drifted into oblivion of his own making and of the business. But always had, you know, a glimmer of respect and was a mythic presence in the stories of younger comics and other comics. The guy that did the crazy shit. The guy that was out of control. The guy that was always sort of like, did you hear about what fucking Billy Ray did? I thought that was John Fox. No, it was Billy Ray. I thought that was Ollie Joe Prater. No, it was Billy Ray. Wasn't that Teddy Bergeron? No, it was Billy Ray. I thought that was Frankie Bastille. Nope, it was Billy Ray. Was that Doug Stanhope? No, man, I'm telling you. That happened to Billy Ray Schaefer. He invented that guy. The guy who's out there. Doing the shitty one-nighters. Doing the weekends at dead clubs. Doing the drugs. Doing the booze. Breaking him. Breaking himself down. And as a protagonist, I was, I was moved by the authenticity of it that thankfully it was a road, that it was a path I didn't take. You don't usually choose that path that chooses you. You don't know which path you're going to be dragged down once the fucking door shuts behind you, leading to things that you could have done with your life. You don't know what's going to be dragging you or how you're going to be dragged 
This is a book about that. This is a book about stand-up comedy. In the realest sense, post-1980, stand-up comedy. The time when we all came up. I came up in the old style, in the clubs. Alt comedy happened while I was in the middle of my self-crushing behavior. And, you know, it became an outlet. But uh, many of us started out in the old system. And many of us knew a guy like the guy that Sam Talent invented. Many of us were that guy for a while. A few guys my age anyway. But it was always a cautionary tale because we'd see them. Like, dude, where you been? What the fuck happened to you? We'd see them. You see them now. The living, breathing, cautionary tales where you don't even want to ask too many questions. What's up, man? Still alive, huh? Still alive. That used to be the answer the drug warriors had back in the day when I started in the 80s. How's it going, man? Still alive, brother. It was almost expected that we push it. A lot of people didn't survive. But I found the book to be a beautiful rendering of a dark reality of of our profession, of our craft. Some call it an art. Of our hustle. Of our place in the entertainment business so i asked sam if he wanted to do the show not only did he want to do the show he he wanted to travel to do it so we both kind of decided okay let's do it he's a compulsive tester married to a doctor i get tested every week or so i think we both had tests within the last couple days of doing this and we sat down and did it old style man we did it old style But it felt familiar to me. You know how it is when I talk to comics. And we were talking about a comic that he invented that I knew. That we all know of my generation. We all know this guy. We all know the Billy Ray Schaefers. We know him by name, man. I've spent time with that guy. In a lot of different forms. (laughs) I've met that guy in several different versions. (laughs) You know? The book is called Running the Light. It's available now at Sam Talent. It's talent with two L's. T-A-L-L-E-N-T dot com. Sam Talent dot com. I did read a chapter for his audio book of this undertaking and I got to meet him and talk to him because he came over. And we're clean. We're both clean, man. Clean of the bug. This is me and Sam Talent. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Alan. 
So, buddy, I appreciate you driving all the way out here. It was a pretty, uh, that's, that's commitment, man. Yeah, dude, well, I don't know. You don't want to Zoom WTF. That would have been a dumb move. <laughs> and, like, a lot of my friends have been here, so I was like, well, I'm going to go do that. It's like a pilgrimage, honestly, dude. Uh, your podcast is, like, seminal, you know? Oh, thank you. And I'm not blowing smoke. Like, yeah. I remember being very, very destitute and afraid yeah. from doing stand-up. Yeah. And then, like, going home to my very bad apartment. In and Denver? Li- yeah, in Denver, right there in the Queen City. Yeah. And, like, listening to your interviews with... I've listened to your interview with Norm. Yeah. Maybe a hundred times. It was all that was on my phone at one point. Your interview with Norm and your interview with Killer Bees were all that was on my phone once. <laughs> you better, you better, what is it? Better save up, better man. Better save up, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bees is the man. He's an animal. He was something, man. And I, I was so thrilled. It was one of those things being the guy that come, that came up, you know, during that time. You know, when I came up, you know, his, you'd go down south and you'd see his pictures, his dumb pictures. Yeah. Killer bees, right? And you'd be like, who the fuck is that guy? Mm-hmm. No idea. And I, I don't really know that I knew who he was when I interviewed him other than I knew he was a guy. I don't know if he knows himself, man. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> He's pretty deep in it. But uh, how, how is it that I never met you? Did we meet? We've never met, no. Isn't that weird? Uh, I don't think so because by the time I was like, I mean, in a position to maybe open for you, yeah. you were already doing theaters. Is that true? That's oh, true. So how long have you been doing it? I started in like 2005 doing improv classes uh-huh. and then st- did stand up and then took like a strange sabbatical to a commune in Ithaca, New York. Huh. What and- happened? How'd you hit the wall? <laughs> what the? What caused that? College, man. I, uh, I was not one for, for higher education and my best friend moved to Ithaca. So we were in a band together and I was like, well, I'm not doing anything worthwhile here. So I'll just go up there and we'll live in this weird anarchist commune and like share a closet and they had an abattoir out back that we could practice in at all times. Uh-huh. So we just dove into the band real hard. An anarchist commune. Is that a lot of, like, there was a lot of piercings? There's a lot of signing your rent check in blood. Like, hypocrite on the memo line. Oh, okay. That kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was pretty much one old horny dude who wanted to bang everyone. Right. Didn't matter. And so, then he had a house somehow. So the- <laughs> so there was a plan? There was a guy? There was a guy, yeah. Bob Wolf Young too. Bob Wolf Young too. Yeah, his first name was Bob Wolf, yeah. and his last name was like Carl Young, but with a two, the number two was legally in his name somehow. And this guy uh, somehow convinced how many people? Uh, well, I mean, it, it fluctuated. There people was probably coming in and going out. A lot, of, a lot of coming and going, man. And he'd Literally. fuck anything. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like he, <laughs> me and my buddy Clay, we shared a closet there, and he, when he, I was like, he was like, so who's gonna take this room and who's gonna have the closet? And yeah. we were like, well, we both want to split the closet, and his eyes lit up. Right. Like, he was just <laughs> thinking about all the wild sex me and Too Tall were gonna have in there. <laughs> who's Too Tall? My buddy Clay DeHaan, who was in the band with me. His name's Too Tall. Well, he's like six seven. Oh. He's a real string bean of a man. What's that guy do now? Uh, he works on this mushroom farm that I have. You have a mushroom farm. Yeah, I started a mushroom farm at the beginning of COVID. Uh, for uh, for healthy mushrooms or psilocybos? Not psilocybin, just like gourmet mushrooms, red oyster. Oh, gourmet kind of mushroom, but not like uh, the kind, the reishi, not the reishi mushroom. We have a couple bags of reishi in there, but it's mostly lion's mane and uh, like red oyster. Lion's mane, that's a that's an eaten mushroom? Yeah, it tastes like like scallops. It's bizarre. Scallop I'm, taste in mushrooms? Yeah, it tastes like bad lobster. Oh. It's pretty and, uh, cool. And the oyster mushrooms, I know. Yeah, we don't have any of those. Oh, do you have the we hens? don't have any of those. The hens, something, the uh, hen of the woods. Yeah, yeah, we have a bag of those going too. 
Just a bag? Doesn't sound like a big farm. It's not. It's uh, <laughs> it's in a <laughs> it's building. In closet? It well, it's no. I, a lot of good stuffs happened. Uh, my grandpa got like bored when yeah. he retired, and he just built houses all over. Uh-huh. So this is a house on my parents' property in the country. Yeah, who we just put a bunch of mushroom stuff in there. So is it a moldy house now? It's literally a moldy no, house. No, it's cleaned out. Oh, it's cleaned yeah, out. Yeah, we got a cat to kill all the mice. It was a, it was a real operation. So you, and you have some mushroom beds. No, we, ha- we, do, we do the bags. So you have like a fruiting station and then you have a bags. A fruiting station? Yeah, where you get the the, like the small uh, yeah. mushrooms to bud in there. I don't right. know. Sure. You My brother-in-law and our oh. scientists are in there like every day. You're just a working partner? I was a angel investor, if you will, because <laughs> I had like $12,000. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to the beginning of this. Now, look, what I want, I want to know, because I got this book, you had sent it a while back, yeah. and I just was sort of like, I don't know what this is. The mm-hmm. interesting cover. Like, I get a lot of books coming in. I'm sure. And then uh, somebody on Twitter, was it Bert or Kirsch, Bert uh, Kreischer or Stanhope, someone said, someone mentioned it again yeah. and looped me in somehow, right? Mm-hmm. And then I responded to you, or did I respond to them? Or I you said, just oh, put you. up a public tweet that was like, <laughs> like send I, me the book. I got the book, and I was like, oh, shit, this is it. <laughs> it's happening, man. You did it. You know, I was you like delivered mani- the goods. I was manifesting stuff. Oh uh, yeah, you really were there <laughs> yeah. in, your, in the mushroom house. You were manifesting. Oh dude, the mushroom house is good for having some epiphanies. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, Stanhope got behind it real hard. Yeah, and he championed it. And he was telling me to send it all types it's of people. It's like a, for Stanhope, it's almost a cautionary tale. Oh yeah. Like, if he wasn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, a real outlaw. It could have been him. Oh, yeah, it's his memoir. Yeah. If things took a little, you know, if they went sideways at like the Aspen Comedy Festival in 1999. I remember he, that festival. He would have been this guy. When he was running around with the with the Santa hat on doing and closing naked. I don't know. I was like 13 years old. <laughs> he used to, he was, a, it was one of them. I, it must have been that one. Was that the one where he kind of made a break of, of I sorts? I think so. Right. I remember seeing him there. I didn't know who he was, but everyone was talking about him because he'd get naked by the end of his show. Yeah. And then he just he was just running around Aspen with a fucking Santa hat on, and I had immediate resentment of him because I had no idea what he what he did. <laughs> you thought he was a carny. Well, yeah, he was yeah. a carny, or like I just was. I was upset with the with the closing naked business. In sure. my mind, I didn't see it, but I'm like, that's a prop act. Yeah. You know, like, he's well, it's not a, much of a prop. I've <laughs> seen him nude. <laughs> <laughs> but he's turned into a, to something, that guy. For sure. So he got behind it early, huh? Yeah, Mishka Shubali told me to send it to him because Mishka like, helped me Who's figure that guy? Out. He's, a, he's a, like, a troubadour singer-songwriter who wrote a bunch of books uh, and was like championed early by Audible. So we're friends from like working the road and stuff. But you self-published? Yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing that uh, we should talk about at some at some point. But like, let me let me get some background. So you grew up in Denver? I grew up in Elizabeth, Colorado, on the Eastern Plains. And what what is that? What is that like a town of seven? What is Elizabeth? Eight hundred people. Yeah. Okay, so it's small and a big family. The Talent uh, family. Talent family is real close, but not that big. I got like five cousins. Okay. Grandpa and grandma on both sides were really Brother, heavily sister? involved. Yeah, I got a sister. Little Sophie. Uh-huh. She's so, tough as hell. Were they farmers or what? No, my my mom worked for uh, the Federal Reserve Bank, and she would drive to Denver. Okay, so it, it's not far from Denver. It's like 45 minutes. It's oh, a okay. bedroom community yeah. is what it's called, now? where people work in Colorado Springs right. or Denver, okay. and then they just have their kids there. Right, and they live out there. Yeah. Right. My dad ran a bank, but he quit to raise me and my sister. Bank people. Yeah. You come from money people, but not like investor people, like man- people who- 
help manage the money for others. Yeah. And like my dad, you know, he worked at this small town bank. So sometimes people would pay liens with pigs and cattle and stuff like that. So he'd bring the pig home. And my dad would have to be like, well, I don't know how many pigs is worth a home, but uh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So he had, had briefly had a pig farm. It reminds me of Jay Mascus's dad was a small uh, town rural dentist. Yeah. And they, you know, he they would pay in like uh, potatoes and things. Yeah, honey. Yeah, 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 for Here's sure. Some, here's some money from the farm. Yeah, Jay's the man. <laughs> he's great. Hell yeah, he's a sweet guy. He's been on here twice. Oh, I, I know. Was, I always like to. <laughs> I know about it, dude. Yeah. I'm right there. And it's crazy to go from those days to now. You have like Glenn Close and Michael J. Fox. The the Zoom thing is has enabled me. Yeah, I you know I thought it was going to be a liability, but it's made it easier for larger stars. To uh, to just do this, right? And they're bored. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So you're in Elizabeth. Yeah. Near Denver. Mm-hmm. But you know, you you don't seem like uh, you don't seem like uh, the the standard mess of a person. No, no, man. I've had a. I was lucky. My parents ruled. My grandparents were there. My aunts nice, and uncles. Nice, loving family. For sure. Because yeah. when I saw this book and I started reading, I'm like, this is not a this this is not about this guy. <laughs> no, man, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't be. For, I mean, it's the guy that I fear turning into. Well, so we really all do. Easy to we all do, way. and there there are times for some of us where we're not sure if we are that guy or not. Oh yeah, I worry about it a lot. You do? Well, because I work there. Like I do forty five weekends a year on the I road. I know, but you're not. But you know, you, you're either this guy or you're not. No, I'm not like the Coke guy, but I'll definitely drink way too many light beers in Cincinnati after a bad show on Saturday at Go Bananas. Hell yeah, I'm working. <laughs> I'll be there New Year's, everybody. <laughs> If are you really are you doing shows now? I haven't done one show since like June, and those were all outdoor shows in Wyoming and South Dakota. Yeah, I haven't done any. I'm I, I'm I'm sadly surprised at how little I'm compelled to go out and do outdoor shows or drive-in shows. Or well, they're very anything. bad. They're, I know. It's like in my mind, I'm like I've worked my entire life to never have to do those again. Yeah. For some reason, in my mind. I've done those before. Right, you have. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, like, I just remember doing the San Francisco comedy competition at some fucking winery outdoors. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's no place for stand-up to happen. No, and also, you're an intimate act. I know, exactly. Yeah. There's no way I could pull it off. Like, I did when I did a couple of those oddball festivals, mm-hmm. I, I could figure out which jokes I could do to land yeah. and have the experience, mm-hmm. but not preferable. No. It was just something I needed to get out of the way. It's not good for anybody. No, I wanted to say, like, <laughs> I performed for 20,000 people not great uh, yeah <laughs> also these zoom shows man yeah it turns out that i'm a live act let's put it that no, way i've never tried them i can't don't. do it you don't need to it's you made so it dude. sad man yeah they're bleak but do they do you have people unmute their to laugh at least they'll or bring mean, in like three designated laughers three yeah but then they have to laugh at everything or they're blowing it oh yeah mm. it's like a juiced room for like a jfl tape wow a juiced room of three yeah in separate rooms? Yeah, and there's one guy who's definitely being paid to laugh. Oh, no, That's what really? it feels like. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or maybe he's just uncomfortable. It's a lot weighing on him. I remember doing those late night shows where there's nine people, yeah. and you always get like somebody who feels bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they've got to kind of do double time. Yeah, the they way. feel bad that they're there. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that you're there. Yeah, and, and like, they came hey. to see you. Well, yeah, but they also want to help. For sure. But, yeah. Yeah. They're so, like, we got this, buddy. What'd you do in uh, Elizabeth? I like, played um, sports and ate a bunch of drugs. You were a football guy? Yeah, football, wrestling. I played sports year-round, but football was the big one. What's your background? Are you an American Indian? Uh, No, I'm a quarter Mexican. Quarter Mexican? Yeah. My grandma's from Wagon Mound. 
Hmm. So she's one of those weird cave Mexicans down there. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is that? Like, uh, in, uh, not a Spanish Mexican, indigenous Mexican. Yeah, like they didn't know they were in America until a census person showed up. <laughs> And told them? Yeah, and they were like, you get you get mail now. Yeah. Yeah, and they were like, what are you what? talking about? They lived in a cave. And you can use this money. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And they, like, tried to give them maize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she married this old hobo named yeah. Ova, my grandpa, and, you know, they were interracial. A Denver hobo? Uh, he was, uh, like, a, what was it? Somewhere in Missouri, hobo. Mm. But mm. he would just hop trains back and forth to Philadelphia and send money home. Oh, wow. He was like Because Denver's, like, hobo central. Yeah, because I-70 and I-25 and, and all And then the, the train back in the day. Mm-hmm. So you got the hobo grandfather and the um, cave woman uh, grandmother. Uh-huh. That's pretty exciting. This turned into a pretty decent Southwest story. Yeah. And then what, what about the other side? Uh, they were they were not as interesting. I mean, they were cool. My grandpa was from Mississippi on my mom's mm. side, and then my grandma was from somewhere in Ohio. Mm. And, and they ended up in Colorado. Colorado's like a, a little, is a mixed bag, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in New Mexico, and you know, you get up. We'd go up to Durango, and then go up to. But you get up northern; it's pretty white, incredibly white. And also, Denver's a very segregated city. Yeah, it's big a, clan presence. Yeah, there's something big clan presence. Well, when it was founded, it was run by the clan, Denver. Yeah, like in the early 1900s. Well, I just feel there's that sort of weird kind of like, are, are you just really healthy or are you Christian? <laughs> well, you know, that's, like, that's the springs. <laughs> it's like, tough to tell down there. It is, but there is sort of this kind of like mountain bike, you know, uh, yeah. always wearing, you know, some form of workout wear. I'm shorts year round. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and you're sort of like, God, you have a clarity, but is it uh, the good kind? or Right. What are you running from? Yeah. Or, well, I, I always go to like, what are you, what are you selling me? What do, what, <laughs> why do you... Like there, there's an immediate sense of being, I'm being condescended to mm-hmm. by some spiritual bully. It's always a lot of judgment. Yeah, something. Yeah. But, there, but there's a politeness to it. Uh, there's, I mean, it's it's a real thin veneer of politeness. That's but sure. I like Denver because it's like the, there's still like a cowboy presence to it. There's still some like downtown Denver. I've never seen more fucked up people on a weekend night than uh, maybe Glasgow is the only other place that I've seen that much public drunkenness. Yeah. But I think the altitude and the legal weed. And... We're the drunkest city in America, is but also true? the healthiest city in America is what mm. they say. I went to, like, fucking Doug Benson did a 420 show before yeah. my show. Uh, when I last I was up there, they like, they needed paramedics for two people. <laughs> and that was the afternoon. <laughs> Dude, you should, uh, the, the park, Civic Center Park on yeah. 420 uh-huh. is this, you know, 10,000 people. And people are just dropping like flies. They'll take like a 15-gallon bong rip yeah. and then just collapse, and everyone starts <laughs> clapping. Like, that was the goal. <laughs> I think a lot of it, too, is people not being able to handle their edibles. They don't know what what they're getting into. Yeah. Well, my advice is always eat a little bit more than you were told to if you're a tourist. Yeah. Because if you're going to buy the ticket, take the ride. Right, right. Like, but, get the, but the ride might just be like the hotel room. Yeah, it might be, you know, in the back <laughs> of an ambulance. <laughs> You're going to panic. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be panic and maybe some nausea. Mm-hmm. So when do you make it down to Denver? Where'd you, what was the, what, what, so you played the football and, yeah. and then what, you go to a good college or? No, I thought I was going to play football in college, but oh. I didn't. So I went to Metro State University, which is a commuter school right downtown in Denver. Oh. And it uh, wasn't for me. No. You know? What were you studying? What was the plan? Rhetoric and public address. Oh, so you kind of knew. It was starting to come together. Well, I wanted to do comedy. You knew I that always, al- Like, already? as a little kid, I wanted to do comedy. Really? Why did yeah. you know that? Because comedy was a really big deal in my family. Really? Yeah. Like, uh, 
like Fred Willard oh, and yeah. uh, you know John Candy and yeah. all the like Stripes. Yeah, Ghostbusters yeah. was a very big deal. But stand up? Well, no, I was going to do Second City. Oh, the plan was improv. I wanted to improv. Do that. So you read, you'd learned about that as a kid. Mm-hmm. Was your dad the a hipster? You knew he was hundred percent a hipster, an uh, intellectual guy. Uh, yeah, but someone you could also crack a beer with until he got sober. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. So he went far. He did it. He did it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he would. He had like you know, Spin and Rolling Stone and all those magazines come to the house. There was one time, man, where so how old are you, man? I'm 33. So your dad was like just a little older than me, for sure. Yeah, he was born in 55. I'm born at 63. Mm-hmm. So he's actually of the generation that saw some action in the sense that, like, you know, bonafide hippie shit. Yeah, definitely. Right. That's what Elizabeth is. It was part of the Brushfire Rebellion, where a bunch of hippies moved to the country and yeah. pretty much bought up the town so they could run the city council. Really? Yeah. And he was part of that. Mm-hmm. Well, he was from there, so he just kind of got yeah. you know grandfathered in. <laughs> He grew his hair out, and you're like, you're one of us. No, my grandpa didn't stand for that shit. Oh, no. No long hair. Oh, that was that's where he drew the line? Yeah, he would wear overalls without a shirt. That oh, was okay. as far as he went. And old school alcoholism. No drugs. Uh, I think he would smoke weed. And they, oh. they well, my mom and dad ate, uh, my mom was from Cleveland, and she ate, you know, mushrooms and ex- acid and stuff like that. So they did it. Not when I was around so much. When you before you were born, mm-hmm. yeah, they did the journey for sure. Yeah, yeah, they went deep too. Yeah, yeah. My mom was like around Kent State when all that shit was going down. Oh man, she hated the cops. It was really cool. So was Joe Walsh and uh, yeah. the guy from uh, Mother's Bar, Mark yeah. Mother's Bar. So Joe Walsh played my mom's senior prom. Really? Yeah, James Gang. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh man. And I think that she said that she had beef with Chrissy Hind. Uh huh. I know that she said she hooked up with Drew Carey one time. Well, that's uh, not something you want to tell too many people. Uh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's name dropping people that uh, my mom hooked up with. Yeah, I was, I was hoping for more rock and roll, but Drew, I guess, is all right. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. But my dad, he was into all the cool music. Yeah. And like all the good books. and So that's where you got it. Like, because, you know, like I read this book, like I'm reading it. I'm like, my, my thing is, is, like, as a guy that's written a couple memoir kind of books and, you know, a novel seems way out of my fucking wheelhouse but like one of my best friends is a novelist yeah yeah and i'm always like you you know it takes a lot for me to get through i has to be very well recommended fiction for me so when i saw this i'm like a comic wrote a book how good you know how good could this be and it's self-published and it's self-published well but the cover is pretty compelling thanks man richard ingersoll what my who's that He's a kid that I grew up with. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Like it, To the point where my friend, the novelist, Sam Lipsight, mm-hmm. his son saw this book because I sent it to Sam. I had two copies. Oh, yeah. Because I found the one that you'd sent like a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to <laughs> Sam, who's a great novelist. And his son's son's like, oh, that cover's fire. That's what I got. That's what it's Fire? Called. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. And the kid, and this is a kid that don't read. He, they're trying to get him interested in shit. Yeah. So, yeah, you got him, to, you got him halfway. That's yeah. a big deal. Uh, but so I start reading it. And I'm like, oh my god, this is about us. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not even, it's not that it, it's not a memoir. It doesn't feel like a memoir at all. But it is about uh, the world of comedy. No one's written about this. No, about this this part of it. And this is a real part of it. You know, this guy is probably a couple years older than me. It feels like mm-hmm. that generation, where you know they were around for that '80s boom. And a lot of them thought they were going places, but then they weren't. And then the boom sort of receded and sort of with their own particular problems are left to scramble for a livelihood, you know, in one-nighters. Yeah, they were shipwrecked pretty much. 
But like, I knew this guy, like I, you know, and, and the way you sort of blend in real dudes at certain points where I'm like, this is, you're talking, you're going to put Rick Kearns in here and <laughs> Rick Kearns is the guy. Yeah. I mean, if anyone's the guy, it's that guy. Uh-huh. Kearns but, is the man. But, but he did, he's not quite even that guy because, you know, he did, he, he escaped into radio for a while. Yeah. You know, some of those dudes from the eighties, you know, figured out another way. Mm-hmm. And he got into radio. I guess he had some health issues. Like, fucking, I, like I did the San Francisco comedy competition with Kearns, and I was driving him around. Dude. Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, he's a mind fucker, dude. Yeah. Like you know, he, oh, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And you know, just like, and he'd get you so fucking bummed out by the time he got <laughs> to the gig. He'd be like, "You're all right," and I'm like, "I'm not." And then he'd go up. And, <laughs> He'd fucking brain fuck you, that guy. So I've only known positive Kearns. And now he's taken a dark turn, of course. He has? Yeah, like his daughter did stand up in Denver. Uh And I'm friends with Elise. And then Uh Rick came out of retirement pretty much and would come to open mics and just watch comedy. Uh It's like, who's this old creep? Yeah. Just, you know, drinking vodka straight. Uh And then- uh, yeah, he was ended up being very helpful to me and a bunch of Denver comics because he, he loves comedy. He's hilarious. Mm-hmm. He was one of the great uh, uh, unappreciated acts. Mm-hmm. He's definitely one of the Billy Ray Schaefer's of the world. Definitely, uh, who's the the protagonist of your novel? But uh, yeah, Kearns is like. There's a couple of those guys that were like Kenny Rogerson's another one yeah. for, out of. Uh, he was in Boston when I was coming up. You had that great live episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Kenny was like fucking great. He was so fucking funny. And Kearns, too. Like Kearns, I would see when I was a doorman at the Comedy Store sometimes. But then when I got to uh, San Francisco and he came around, but he just, his his delivery was great. He's a rare thing. He's the rare kind of like cranky guy. The cranky guys that are funny and don't have to work for it, mm-hmm. are that's a rare type. And they're like, they should be cherished at all costs. Yeah. Because it just doesn't happen that often. There should be a statue of Kearns in front of Comedy World. <laughs> Didn't he have fucking major health issues? Yeah. He's a bad booze hound. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, right. it's not fun. <laughs> He's still that way? Yeah, man. He'll call me and be like, I got a new bit. And then he'll repeat it like three times in an hour. <laughs> It's brutal. Uh, I thought he was sober for a while, was he? He was sober for a while. No. The last time I saw him, he's like, I sold my whole act to Ron White. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> he did. For like a quarter of a mil. I think Ron wrote him a check at dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ron writes a lot of checks for people. Yeah. Ron's the man. I work with Ron a lot. Do you? Uh-huh. He's cool. Yeah, he's great. We did a couple shows at Pootie's Roadhouse in Texas, which wow. was owned by- uh, Willie Nelson's old like manager uh-huh. or road manager yeah. and Ron just ate mushrooms all day for the three days we were in this house together oh, he's just an animal dude yeah. he's like an old dude and then he'll have these moments of epiphany like you're on his tour bus and yeah. he's surrounded by people who love him yeah. and then he'll just say shit like I'm gonna fucking die man nothing's gonna save me and you're like tripping and you got a check in your pocket from him and yeah. he's rich as hell and yeah. you're like oh, Ron it's fine and he's like it's not fine you don't know anything you're like okay <laughs> let's get Ron a towel <laughs> of course that's true I sat next to him on an airplane and watched him like ask for more butter and I'm like dude what are you doing yeah and it's funny he'll smoke eight cigars but he'll drink like Michelob Ultra so he's doing better and his tequila yeah I always be baffling about the dudes that get into the you know the the spirits uh, racket. It's just merch. Yeah, I know it's merch, but he's got some weird ones. He just loves to start shit. Mm-hmm. He had a ceramics thing in Mexico, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh-huh. And he had like uh, he's got the tequila. I'm surprised he didn't get a restaurant. Does he have a restaurant? I don't think so. Hmm. I don't think he's a big. He eats a lot of beef jerky and nuts. 
He's yeah, he's definitely amazing that he's alive. For sure. And he's one of those guys that can fucking, you know, just get up there, do a show in a blackout. Uh-huh. Like, you know, not even know he's on stage yeah. kind of dude. Right? But crush. Yeah, crush totally. Yeah. And I I don't know. I just think maybe your brain gets to a point where it's used to operating that way. So he can go from being on the tour bus wearing sweatpants yeah. and then put his jacket on and he's on stage and just people can't get enough. It's crazy. It's and, something yeah. I, you know, I kind of admire that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it, there's there's something to be admired about a guy who is just uh, swimming in fucking garbage inside mm-hmm. and can just go up there like a, it, it, like a robot almost. Yeah. But kill. I mean, that's something that the Schaefer guy does in yeah. the book, kind of. Like I, the number of times you've figured out new ways to describe a hungover sun sky, <laughs> like how, like you, the, the number of times you described a sky either through a hangover or through those moments of clarity, yeah, it was it was uh, pretty good. <laughs> Thanks, you didn't man. repeat yourself. I was surprised. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. <laughs> My dad was the editor, so <laughs> he had a hand in it. Oh, he made sure it's like that. You know, yeah. I think you might use this adjective in the last description. <laughs> Of the sky. My friend Nathan Lund's in the book. Yeah. Uh, and I called him poor scene like eight times in the first draft. Yeah, poor scene. <laughs> yeah, my dad was like, you got to figure out a new word to call Nathan fat. <laughs> <laughs> Corpulent, you know, piggish, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyways, you college doesn't work out. Yeah. And then you go, what, you're in a band? Yeah, so I, I play drums. My dad played drums. And I played a bunch of drums in high school uh, with my buddy Clay, who mm. learned to play bass along to my drumming. Yeah. And then he was in Ithaca, so I was like, fuck this. I'm going to go up there and just take LSD and be in this band. And we yeah. toured a lot, and it was it was a really important thing So he was in me. college. This is the, the commune times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how old were you, like 20? I was like 20, yeah. I couldn't drink legally yet. But you guys were a band that toured a lot? All the time. What was the name of the band? Red versus Black. It was Records? Red versus black. No, but there were there records. Were no, there... we would you know burn our own CDs and make our own merch and sell them. Yeah, no records. So you're in the you were in that loop, the anarchy punk loop. We were just in a very sincere loop. But uh, I mean, that's who came out to see you. Were you opening for people, or did you no? No, I mean, we would go play. We only played all ages shows in, uh. in DIY venues. We wouldn't play in bars. We weren't ever a hit, right? No, I get it. But did you like? But you did it. We worked you really lived hard. The life. Yeah, we really were like. We tried to be like Black Flag and Minutemen and our right. ethos. Right, right. And we'd show up to these places where kids were wearing the uniform with like the crass patches on and their denim jackets. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be in. You know, basketball shorts, and Clay would be in a sleeveless denim shirt. Yeah, yeah. And we would just tackle the stage, and people would be like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, they didn't have the synapses yet in their heads right. to deal with who we were. Right. And that was really cool to freak people out by looking normal. Right. Yeah. Huh. So, well, that was that's sort of a tradition for a certain type of uh, punk rocker. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like Mike Watt and that crew, dude. Mike Watt, I got tattoos of his all over me. Really? I love Mike Watt. He changed my life. I met him once. Uh, I was at the- Okano, dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's my whole life. I make all my own merch. I print my book, you know? Yeah. It's all because of Mike Watt and D. Boone. But I met him once, and I, I was at, downstairs in Mobile, Alabama, and he was upstairs. Uh-huh. And they told me, like, Mike Watt is playing upstairs. And I was supposed to do an hour. I did, like, 15 minutes. And then they of were stand like- stand-up? Yeah, and they were furious. And I was like, keep the money. I got to go watch Mike Watt upstairs. <laughs> And I totally just Mark David Chapman him. I just paced by the stage with my arms crossed, like not blinking, yeah. with this dead-eyed look on my face. And then afterward, he was at his merch booth selling his merch, and I went up to him, and I was like, hey, I just, uh, I, you know you. And he was like, I know, big fella. I know. 
And he gave me a hug. <laughs> and then, like, ushered me out of the room. <laughs> I definitely bummed out Mike Watt. Oh, no, you didn't. Did I you? don't think so. But I'm a very sincere. Yeah. And also, I'm huge. Yeah. So when those two things come together, right. people flip out. Yeah. No but, one's no one's comfortable. Yeah, but they know. He's, you know, he's probably out of, he probably knew you're a good-hearted dude. Yeah, and also, I'm sure he's dealt with me since 1981. But he's pretty, like, he's pretty present, sort of, like, in it guy. Like, you know, he's got his own language, that guy. Yes, dude. Like, it's like when I interviewed him, I'm like, he's speaking Mike Watt language. Yeah. And you got to kind of figure it out. He plays the thud staff. <laughs> he's the man in the van with the bass in his hand. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when my buddy Clay turned me on to the Minutemen in high school, and we yeah. were like listening to The Damned and Black Flag and all those bands, and we were like, we know what punk is. Because yeah. my dad, would he played punk when I was growing up, like the Pistols. And, right. And That's Clay, just rock. It was rock, but also when you're eight and your dad's yeah. doing the dishes to the Sex Pistols, right. you're like, this is the coolest man alive. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, we found the Missing Men, or the Minutemen, and we were like, this what have we been doing? Right. What is this? This yeah. is mutant rock. Yeah. And then we found Lightning Bolt and like you know all the John Dwyer bands, and it was like, okay, yeah. we are incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> we thought we had it figured yeah. out. I'm going to yeah. take this Misfits patch off my letter jacket, right. and just we're going to make pilgrimages to like Providence and New York and stuff. Yeah, because these are the guys that are going out there. These are the astronauts, yeah. not the hacks. Right. And they're also sincere yeah. dudes. Yeah, for sure. I always really like when people are earnest in their art. Well, those two, Watt and Dwyer, are very sincere. Yeah. And they're, and they're very different. And they're like very masculine without being disgusting about it right and they have integrity right and they're they're yeah because the integrity is that you know we're gonna keep making this music for us yeah we don't give a fuck this is what we do mm -hmm. this is our shit and maybe we'll find the people who like it right and right. hopefully they'll love it too right or we'll just you know well that's sort of what you try to do with comedy i think too some people anyways it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a little trickier yeah because of uh you know what you're up against is that you're just talking yep so, but he, you know, that was sort of this, that was, that was interesting about the book too, was that like, he had this respect, he had these chops, but he, you know, he could riff, right? So that was his big gift is that he could rip apart an audience. It was, it, it is a double-edged sword that, you know, when you can do that, you can get pretty fucking lazy. Yeah, you stink of the road. Yeah, but it depends on how hacky you are with it. But sometimes those are the best moments. Like if you, like I write on stage. I don't know how you do it. 100%. So like when you have those moments delivered to you, you're like, oh my God, where'd that come from? Yeah. Because you're basically cornering yourself. Then you, you let have, your ego have to back up what you've got your your mouth has gotten you into. Sure, and, and if it's not going well, you've got to figure out instinctively how to get the laugh to get out of the discomfort. Or burn it down. Sure. Go down swinging. <laughs> Yeah, just like surrender. Like, well, this isn't going to happen. Look, I tried really hard. Look how sweaty I am. Look how many shirts I've taken off up here. But the old time guys would tell you, like, you know, don't acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't buy that shit. Like, you know, I got Freddie Roman got on my shit once about whining about bombing, you know, on while I was doing it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't owe them my fucking heart. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'll either blame them, blame myself, but if I can't get a laugh out of the humiliation, yeah. what the fuck am I doing up here? Well, that's why we were lucky in Denver because we had guys like Rick and you know Chuck Roy, uh -huh. who if you were complaining at all would be like, man, you don't know what pain is. <laughs> and they'd tell you some horror story about yeah. being in a crab shack in New Hampshire. The crab shack in New Hampshire. <laughs> well, just those, those gigs you guys had to do back in the day. Well, yeah, there's one-nighters everywhere, you know, that, but that was also, like, the other thing about this book is that, like, some of those one-nighters that, you know, low-level corporate gigs or, like, gigs that, like, you know, bookers, you know, get you, you know, that are, you know, they, they couldn't afford another act, mm -hmm. you know, or colleges that sucked. They really wanted Dustin Diamond. 
Who? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah he'll bring people in. Everyone knows who he is. <laughs> For sure, Screech. <laughs> yeah, or, or else they, they just can't, they, they don't have the money, so you get pawned off on these things. And I was never right for any of those things. So I would do these gigs where it was just like, there's no way. These odds are stacked against me. There's, I'm not the happy guy. No. <laughs> no. And I don't like anyone in this room. I would never have anything to talk to. And I, I started doing those gigs when I came up. I'd go feature for these dudes in like Wyoming, South well, Dakota. Well, where'd you wait? So how'd that happen? So you get done with the band? Was that, uh, how'd that end? Did that trick, did that just fade? Or did was it a dramatic thing? Like, No, me and Clay are still tight. Um, but, but you just decided not to pursue music? Well, no. So I always played music, but then this is a real lost period too, because I was eating acid a lot. Really? Yeah. In Denver? Sure. No, like in Ithaca. Well, oh, everywhere. The commune. It was yeah. just the acid thing. Yeah, it was cool. And yeah. I would sell acid to those kids. I never understood the guys that like could get used to acid. For me, it was you like yeah. <laughs> for me, it was like the one you know the three or four times I did it in my life. It was a lot to build up to. Yeah. And then it was sort of like, oh, this is. I don't know when this is going to end, but uh, I don't know who I am anymore. And <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So I never understood guys who are like, three times a week. You know. I mean? Well, I don't think we knew the proper dosage either. Because like back in the day when you got mushrooms, you had yeah. to eat the entire bag. Yeah. You yeah, wouldn't yeah, eat a gram yeah, of mushrooms. Right. You would eat the eight. But with mushrooms, you knew you were going to come down. Yeah. But I think mushrooms are much more... They're much more spiritual, for lack of a better term. Whereas yeah, mushroom yeah. is like, or when acid, you're like, I am on drugs. Yeah, yeah. I am high on right, drugs right Right, now. right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I moved back to Denver, and me and Clay still had the band, and we started this DIY house, this punk house called yeah. Mouth House in Denver. Mouth House? Yeah. yeah. And we just had shows every night, and it was just constant. Everyone in the house played music, and you yeah. could just jam whenever you wanted at all hours of the day. Right. So it was a really creative time. It must have been smelly. Oh, for sure. <laughs> It smelled like hate and just fear and poverty. Just, Booze, yeah. sweat, Cigarettes unbathed. indoors, nonstop yeah. cigs blasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the to- we had one toilet for 18 people. Oh, man. We, yeah. We had one rule there because our people buddy- People not washing their clothes. No. Yeah. People loved- This guy loved to get nude. Yeah. And this girl that lived there was like, I don't want you getting nude. So we had this big house meeting and we came to uh, this rule that you can be nude, but you can't sit down. You oh, can't okay. be put your nude body on the furniture. Oh, okay. That was the. That's where you drew the line. <laughs> that was right. Yeah. yeah okay. She was like, "Look, I don't mind your body. Yeah. I just don't want you sitting on the chair where uh, I eat breakfast." And we were like, "Fair point." Squatter discussions. Yeah. And we our rent was like 120 bucks, and still I Fire couldn't get hazard. it together. Yeah. Yeah. So I just started doing stand up real hard. Um, that when was the first open mic? So this is where you were living. You were living in the DIY place. No, so I started stand up in like 2006, and I was a finalist in the Comedy Works contest in 2007, and it was but my fourth was, time on stage. But oh, really? And then I so, moved to Ithaca and didn't do any stand up. Oh, I see. So you, so you, you started, did a few open mics, entered the competition, mm-hmm. and did well. Yeah, everyone hated me because I was just like a natural. So your fourth time up, you won. No, I bombed. Oh, <laughs> At, in the in the finals. Yeah. So it's three three rounds. First round crushed. Second round crushed. Third round, totally ate my ass because it was high pressure. No, just because I wasn't a comic. Oh, I was a fraud. Yeah, I was a naturally funny fat guy. And yeah. people were like, "Oh, well, listen to him for but five minutes." You couldn't minutes. get away with it. You couldn't get away with it for fifteen. What was I had it? to go first too. It what was, was it? seven minutes. Seven minutes. Yeah, oh, you just ate it, huh? Yeah, and I was like yelling at the crowd. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it no was, chops. No chops. Zero. <laughs> I had improv chops, but <laughs> yeah. those aren't good in a club. Where'd atmosphere. you get those? I did uh, improv at the Bovine Metropolis Theater in Denver. Uh-huh. I, I did their entire forty uh, week thing and was on their house team and did their weekend shows and stuff. What the games? Yeah, games and long form. I preferred long form. Uh huh. Yeah. So you come out of that. But like so Adam Peyton some... Holland would he hated me. 
Adam Clayton Holiday. Yeah, he was like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. You don't want to be hated by that guy. No, he didn't like me forever. Because he's a he's a he's a uh, died in the wool stand up, but he's also kind of smarty. Yeah, he went yeah. to like you know yeah. Wesleyan or something. I don't think he liked me when he met me, and I think he was featuring for me. <laughs> Sounds like Adam. Yeah, I mean, I did not get the good feelings from him. Yeah, I went to his thirtieth birthday party and I gave him a book. Yeah, and I was like, well, I this know, book? No, oh. I knew he loved Jim Thompson. Oh yeah. So I gave him, I think, the killer inside me, mm. and he was like, "Cool," and he threw it in the trash. And I was like, "All right, well, I'm wow, gonna... yeah, that's dick move." We're we're very good friends now. Well, I think he's also a guy that got humbled and uh, got nicer. Well, yeah, he's had some personal tragedy. Yeah, terrible. But also, even before that, he was sweet, you know? Yeah. But he started out as a writer, yeah. a guy who wrote... Didn't he write a column? Yeah, in the Westward in Denver. Yeah. And I, I read did. it religiously as a kid. Did you really? Well, like from like 18 onward, I was like, this rules. I can't wait to meet this guy. Yeah. And I wrote him and his crew, Wrist Deep Productions, a sincere letter about how I really like your shows and I, I just want to work with you guys. And I, Ben Kronberg told me they like made fun of it and put it on the wall. Uh, so I moved back to Denver and started doing stand-up real hard. After the acid rock yeah. uh, anarchy punk thing. And there was, I was still in bands and eating drugs and living in this house, but I was also out every night doing stand-up. In Denver. Mm-hmm. So what were the options as a, as a, a miker? Uh, well, I hosted the Lion's Lair and the Squire. Lion's Lair. I feel like I've been there. Have I? Is I don't a- know. It's the punk rock bar in Denver. Ah, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you yeah. hosted a stand-up night there? Yeah. I hosted Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. And yeah. I got up every night of the week. Oh, okay. someone told me, you know, if you're not on stage, someone else is getting better than you. And I'm hyper competitive. Wow, which fucking animal told you that? Uh, TJ Miller. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There you go. That's why I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> Well, I don't got it. It's, it's okay. He's like, you know, anyway. What? TJ's got in trouble is all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I don't want I don't, to. I, right. I, I, I don't even remember what it is. I, I just, I know he had a, there's a woman's problem, and then he had a brain problem, and then like. He I had an aneurysm in like 2008. Yeah, I, and I, I now he thinks he's dead. He thinks, he thinks this is heaven and that he's dead. Yeah, see, I, 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 he wore me out. Well, he was very generous and like sweet to me early on. Yeah, oh, that's nice. And he was like important to the kind of comedy that it's I the do. Chicago guy. He's from Denver. Oh, but he didn't he come up in Chicago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Okay. So he he gave you a work ethic. Well, he just told me like you know you're you're not going to be as funny as other people if you take nights off. Right. So I got up. I got up. I think in 2011, I got up 335 nights that year. Wow, you count them. Yeah, well, I did Delray. back then. <laughs> Delray's still counting them. That's weird. I don't count them anymore. <laughs> he still does. But then sometimes people would say, I did, a, I did a show every night of the year, and I'd just be furious in my room. Like, where'd you get up on Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Where'd you get up <laughs> on Easter? You're what are you talking liar. about? Yeah, you're lying. You're exaggerating. Yeah. But, well, you know, it's like uh, Rollins, he, he uses the same mic. Like, he knows exactly, like, he has mics that, you know, he knows he's talked through for how many days he's used that mic. Yeah. He's like, you know, it's magical shit, you know? All right, so, all right, so you're getting your, you're getting your uh, hours in. Mm-hmm. And what, do you just build up to, what, featuring? No, I, I want, didn't want to do that. So I would go on the road, and I'd, like, go to New Orleans for a week and do every open mic, mm. and then I would, I'd just crush, like, fucking raising hell. And then people- But how much time did you have? Were you cheating? No, I had like a half hour. Oh, okay. I, was, I was featuring at one-nighters, like terrible one-nighters. That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah. But I didn't want that life of doing those one-nighters. And I also wanted to travel, and I didn't have any money. So I was like, I'll just go stay on this couch with this yeah. person I met in New Orleans or Boston or Austin. And From the band days? No, I mean, sometimes the band days, but yeah. also people come through Denver. Right. You know? Comics. Yeah. 
And then once you start killing at these open mics, they're like, hey, if you're ever in town on Wednesday, I have a show that pays 50 bucks and you can close it. So you, you came up in the age of the, of the uh, comic produced show. Yes, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like I do work some clubs, but I right. mostly work comic produced shows and, you know, right. alt rooms and stuff. Yeah, those weren't around when uh, me and Billy Ray Schaefer were starting out. I don't think he would care to do an alt room. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He would, he would be like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. What do you mean we don't get paid? He doesn't know what a podcast is. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just do these shows and, you know, 45 weekends a year, just be somewhere, Omaha, Seattle, and make 300 bucks a weekend and come home. So that was the whole circuit. wasn't a club circuit. Not at all. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I I remember that when I started uh, flailing and losing any hope of, of, of doing comedy in some ways. I remember me and Andy Kindler and Eugene Merman went on a tour of these smaller rock venues, and it, it always felt weird to me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I, I am essentially came up as a club comic. Yeah. My, my mistake was not understanding it was a business <laughs> and that you had to be nice to club owners yeah. and you had to keep going back to the same places mm-hmm. to build an audience. I never quite got that. I got that, but I did it just the same way I learned from punk rock, which is you go and you play for eight people and then they bring a friend and you have 16 and the right. next time you might have 30 and then- Be a respected guy. People have good things to say about your comedy. For sure. I've yeah. watched it. It's funny. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. I finally got JFL last year after auditioning six times and man, did I have a chip on my shoulder up there, dude. Did you? It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, you were like, you know, like uh, finally, fuck it. What? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was up there and people would be like- New faces? Yeah. I was unwrapped to new faces. And I'd meet managers and agents, and they'd be like, "We met in L.A. like six years ago when I was like a, you know, like an assistant right. to an agent." It's right. like, "What are you doing up here as a new face?" And I'm like, "Motherfucker, I don't know. Yeah, All right, I should have been here six years ago." Yeah, I would just walk around to people, and I'd be like, "Hi, I'm Sam Talent. Who are you with?" And they'd be like, "CIA," and I'd be yeah. like, "All right." Yeah. But then when they talk to you and they're like, "So what do you got? What are you working on?" And I say, "I have a novel." Yeah. They couldn't walk away faster. Really? Oh, yeah. They don't want a novel. They want to know you got a YouTube series. That's the thing about managers and agents, which I don't have, is that they want you to do all the work now, and then they'll just come in and swoop you up. And they always do, dude. They, you know, they don't, like, that's the big myth that they're like, you know, I'm going to make you a star, no kid. Way. It's like, they wait around. They'll keep you in the, in the, in the, what do you, the like. hip pocket. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Until, like, maybe something happens, and they're yeah. like, here we go. Right. Let's do it. Look, I'm going to get you into uh, Cap City Comedy, and it's like, well, I already I, headline yeah, there. I can do Cap City. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Like I, I know Rich Miller. I, right. I already know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I remember at JFL, Pete Holmes was hosting, and he was like, what kind of intro do you want? And I was like, can you tell him I'm at Penguins and Cedar Rapids next weekend? <laughs> did, did, did he say, I played no. there? No, he just, I, he laughed so yeah. hard, and he was like, you're legit. And I was like, thank you, Pete Holmes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, great. Pete Holmes gave you, validated you. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. And to go from Montreal, the issue was I was hanging out with too many Canadian comedians. In Montreal? I, I think that they thought I was Canadian. Oh, really? Yeah, and then they well, don't I don't, I don't think that, like, I don't think, it's weird that almost everybody up there is a known quantity already now. Yeah. And it's really just you know, one of these sort of weeks of partying for people on that side of the business. Yeah. They don't really give a fuck, nor can they really do anything, really. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I had a legit agent most of my career. And, you know, I finally fired my powerful manager when uh, he played uh, like one of the first WTFs and it's like, I don't get it. I'm like, I can't, you know, and I, uh, I don't know, dude. It's like the whole, it's all, what am I trying to say? It's, 
you figure out what you really want out of it, and then you got to just get it. No one's going to do anything for you. And no. you seem to know that. I do know that. Now, after being closer to the industry, I know it 100%. Well, what, when you started thinking about writing this book, though, how long ago was that? Uh, my wife did her first two years of med school in Las Vegas Yeah, in 2016. Right. And I wrote it when I was there over the course of like a year. But, you know, like where did you... What experiences were you drawing from? Those one-nighters, I mean, primarily? Yeah. And just like, all who were the, the guys stories. you opened for? Because you mean the horror stories you had to listen to while you're driving fucking tired old headliners places? Yeah. And then also just the horror stories that I would accumulate by doing these shows. Yeah. Like, what, like what are the ones you remember? Well, like that duck shit bingo story from in that <laughs> book? Yeah. That's happened. That was a 100% <laughs> true story. I remember watching this big fat carny put his duck back in the cage and I knew what I got paid yeah. and he's just over there counting money <laughs> and I really wanted to slit his throat. I was, that was like when I was reading it, I'm like, this is one, there's no way. Oh, yeah. There's no way the duck shit bingo story can be it's true. happened, man. <laughs> Where yeah. did that happen? Happened in Greeley, Colorado. Wow. Yeah. That was the one I thought you made up. No, dude, that was legit. <laughs> All these shows I've done. Yeah. For sure. You know what fucking hit me though was the, the weird couple that because dra- I met that couple in Texas. Yeah, what is Florida. it? Florida. Yeah, Florida, mm-hmm. Texas. My the one I met was in San Antonio. Yeah. They were they both come up to you like, so what do you got going? I'm like, I'm not fucking your wife. Mm-hmm. I'm not. <laughs> That's what they want too. I know. Every time. <laughs> I know. But it's uh, like, but you're hotter than me, dude. Why do you want to watch me plow your wife? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but like. Uh, like when I read that, I'm like, this is like real. And yeah. I don't know why they pick comics. I don't know. Maybe they just, I don't know what it is. I think they think that we're debauched. We're debauched and broken. And we're and lonely. We'll, and we'll probably be up for it. Yeah. We, we're, yeah we're like, it, it's almost predatory. Yeah. What's he going to be doing by himself? And then they're like, don't put this in your act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like licking their lips. Yeah. It's like, don't worry. I don't want anyone to know about this. Uh, yeah. And that poor guy, the poor uh, fake guy, Billy Ray Schaefer, mm-hmm. it's all fucked up. And he goes back and. Yeah, there's almost a moment there when he's fucking kicking that guy's ass. You're like, take it easy. Yeah. This is uncalled for. This guy took you in and fed you top shelf gin. Yeah, yeah. He gave you his wife. And he didn't even, I don't even think, like, it suggested, like, I don't know how you see it, but they didn't roll him. He left it there. He left his wallet. Fucking idiot. Yeah, definitely. But I've also been the guy who has his wallet and he lost it. And then you're just homicidal until you remember that you left it at your friend's house. Yeah. But just all the, like, you know, his, um, yeah, man, like, when I read it, I, w- I really think that not enough can be said about the 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 part, the world of comedy it captures. Because if you're in it, like you were in it, and like I was in it, like Stanhope was in it, guys who came up my generation, guys you opened for, and, and some of the experiences you have, I mean, this is what fucking comedy looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what it was. When, you know, there were all those guys out there in the 80s where you're like, I don't know what happened to that guy. You know, I don't know, you know, and guys you, like Frankie Bastille, who you've heard me talk about, mm-hmm. he was like one of these guys. There were literally guys on the road that were, they didn't, Frankie Bastille did not want his name in the paper or on the marquee because he owed back taxes and he owed spouse, you know, child support. Yeah. So he didn't want to be known where mm-hmm. he was. That's crazy. And he's a comic. Yeah. He's on stage publicly. Right. He's the guy that got nailed when somebody heard him on a radio show. The IRS went and got him because he was on a morning radio show yeah. or an ex-wife. I can't remember which. But but this whole world of road comedy and what it kind of became. And this is a guy who did The Tonight Show with all the promise in the world. And I like the ex-con trip. I mean, I like the fact that he was in jail. I think that's one of those things where... It really rang true to me, like when you know uh, when you hear about a comic, like oh, you don't know, you don't know about that guy? Yeah, what about he's in fucking jail, man? Yeah. 
And then he started doing comedy in jail. Like, no shit. So like, Joey Diaz. Right. Yeah. Did he do time? Oh, yeah. For, like, kidnapping. I, I must have talked to him about that. I can't quite remember. Right. And he was in Denver. Like, he, No, I know. It's all his whole stories in Denver. Mm-hmm. All the cocaine stories. I just, I, I always loved the fact that you were surrounded by like freaks and scumbags and mutants and they're, pirates. They're, they're just, they're, it's not just, it's, that's what people don't get about, about that era of comedy. It's not just like people who didn't fit in or nerds or, you know, like, you know, just uh, social oddballs. Some of these dudes were fucking criminals, They man. couldn't do anything else. Nothing else. Yeah. And there, it was it was like people who get into preaching. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you know, either that or prison. What's your fucking hustle? Like, so many of these guys were just doing it to live. Mm-hmm. And they figured it out. And it's a romantic lifestyle. You're somewhere every night, somewhere new. Is it, though? I really find the romance in stand-up. I like it took me years to like be happy to be away from my home. Yeah. Like I'm like, I don't have no I just gonna be in this hotel room. It's great. Yeah. But it used to be I'd get out there, not unlike this guy, Billy Ray Shaver, where Yeah, I mean there's a romance to it, but like there it's also this weird type of loneliness that happens when you're staying in that fucking, you know, hotel, the cheap hotel in the part of town where you can't fucking go anywhere, mm-hmm. you're not near anything, or worse, you're like, it's connected to a mall, but there's a type of loneliness that is, you know, like, above, and it's like, um, beyond good and evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a high lonesome, and, uh, yeah, you kind of turn into, uh, like, Colonel Kurtz by the end of the weekend. Yeah, but it's you're... only a weekend. That's the weird thing. It's like, as soon as you get to that hotel, you're like, oh, where do I go to be bad? The horror. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's so fucking, oh, it's not, it's so weird and dumb. Yeah. And also like, it's really hard. I'm sure everyone talks about it where you get off stage after being the best thing to happen to that room. Yeah. And then what are you going to do with all that adrenaline? The worst. Yeah. Back, like when, once I got sober, it was just like fucking ice cream and candy. Yeah. Just load up on shit and bring it to the room. You should be immense. You should be a big fat pig. Well, I, I didn't like it. I never felt good about it. But like there there is, it's like you don't know what to do and you do want to do something. And that's how you get into trouble. Uh-huh. You know, like, and that's how, like this guy with the cocaine, like I just, every when I read this, I just remember not being able to sleep. Like, because you can't drink yourself down from cocaine. The cocaine's going to always outspeed everything else. So unless you've got downers, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. And like when I was reading this shit, I was like, oh, that morning thing, that's terrible. And he got he starts drinking again. Like he really reminded me of uh, that dude in Money, which is a good thing. Where you're sort of like, can he live like this? At least that guy in Money was like rich, you know. Right, but like you know, you you started to realize like, oh, this is the device. This guy is you know, the the all the bad appetites. Definitely. But this guy, uh, Billy Ray Schaefer, is you know a guy you know. Yeah. I know this guy. Well, every comic reads the book and they're like, hey, is this about X? And I have someone I've never heard of. <laughs> who have they listed? Who have people asked you about? Uh, well, I don't... <sighs> Troy Baxley comes up a lot. I don't know that guy. Oh, my God. Baxley was... He was like one of the kings. Is he dead? No. Oh. Uh, he's holding on somehow. Yeah. He's a medical miracle. Wow. And he was in Denver, but he worked the road all the time. And a lot of people would be like, this happened to Baxley. Did you know that story? And I'm like, <laughs> No. They're like, oh, yeah, he fell off a bar stool and broke his nose open and then that had to go Tom on stage. That was Tom Rhodes, too. Well, see, you got one, too. No, Tom Rhodes, that's what got him sober. He fell off a, a stool and broke his face and uh, realized it was time to quit. No, the story I heard about the guy with the bloody nose on stage, Yeah, that's either, I've heard it, John Fox was who I heard about. Ollie Joe Prater, too. 
Prater too. Yeah, when the nose starts bleeding. Right. Yeah. yeah. Don't who doesn't anyone party anymore? Mm-hmm. I heard that was John Fox. You I heard it was Holly Joe. I think it happened to both of them. <laughs> You've heard that story of Ollie Joe where he was underneath the blanket and it caught on fire. I don't know that one. He got too big and fat to get up the stairs, oh. so he would just sit on stage underneath the sheet, oh. and he would smoke cigarettes under there. Yeah. And one time he like lit the sheet on fire, uh. and it was just revealed in a ball of flame that he was on stage the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> when he like, oh yeah, with the canes, yeah, hobbling Holly, hobbling Ollie Joe Prater, dragging other people's jokes from town to town. Yeah. Everyone in Denver has stories about Ollie Joe taking their jokes. Really? Cause did he start there? No, but he just I think he came through a lot. Because Denver's weird. Cause that's a long time ago, dude. Well, that's there's nowhere to go time. between Chicago and L.A. So yeah. it's Denver. Right. Or it's like Omaha or Salt Lake City. But but Denver's sort of a real city. Yeah. And John Fox was another guy. John Fox. Oh boy! I've only heard stories about him, the mayonnaise jar thing. Yeah, the mayonnaise jar, right? That yeah, don't ever eat mayonnaise on the road because mm-hmm. John Fox blew his load into a <laughs> jar of mayonnaise. I was going to be vulgar about it. Yeah, then, uh, <laughs> but there's a like uh, I just remember like one time we he's uh, I just remember we we're at a table we're doing drugs. It was like a bunch of people, but I think it was. <laughs> I think it was a Kennison night, and for some reason John was there, and we're all talking about the road, and he's like, you know, uh, and you know how you start comparing stories, but there's always the one story you're like, what the fuck? And like, <laughs> like my God, yeah, yeah. Right. And John Fox, like, you know, it was like after a few stories, like, yeah, man, you know, when you're on the road and you got a hairbrush stuck up your ass and you're jerking off, and you're like, God, I hope I don't die like this. And there's just that <laughs> moment where everyone's like, what? <laughs> They tap out. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you win. You, you win, win, John. Yeah, yeah. But then the next time you're on the road, you're like, how do you put a hairbrush up your ass? What, what kind of that? brush was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. How does that fit up there? Is that a good thing? This one's a rubber handle. How much coke do you got to be on to enjoy a hairbrush up your ass? <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah those guys. But who are the other cats? That, I mean, I know that, that Norm plays a part in the book as Norm, and I remember Rick. I don't know if I knew any of the other Denver guys that you that are actual real guys. Who were they? Like Kevin O'Brien and Nathan Lund are friends of mine. Yeah, I don't know those guys. They're my generation. Oh, oh, well, they were in the dressing room with Norm. Yeah, they're but on isn't the shows. It, there's sort of like oral history, like where you actually have right so, uh, comics telling stories. Yeah, I had like Phil Palisol and Nora Lynch. Yeah, no, I met that that guy. You've known. You probably met Phil. Yeah. Uh, Hippie man's in there. John Novosad, mm-hmm. who is the best comic to come out of Denver. Really? Yeah. And people like I remember. I one time I was mean to Bobcat Goldthwait because he was like Hippie man opened for him the night before when yeah. Bobcat came back, and I was having lunch with him and Caitlin Gill, and he was like, "Yeah, and this like old road hack opened for me. <sighs> this guy Hippie man." And it's like, first of all, he's yeah. the king, and second yeah. of all, your name's Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> You're gonna be mad at a guy for having a nickname. <laughs> And Caitlin had to like she like grabbed my leg under the table and was like chill 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 chill. Well, you know Bobby get you know he gets a little snotty. He's been great ever since. But yeah. I remember getting my cockles up because yeah. you don't talk shit about hippie man. Well, I think that it's a weird thing that like you know it, it's definitely there's something about those old timers that you know they, that like it, it's not about their material after a certain point. Yeah, it's about their their perseverance and their sort of humility from you know just decades of humiliation yeah that you know you got to respect the uh, the legend is what it is well also but nova said he writes new stuff all the time yeah you know yeah, yeah like i don't know look i i think it's very difficult um like when people who do comedy when when i meet young people i'm like well you know there's only a handful of guys who are going to make a real living right doing the stand-up so if you've got a knack for writing shit figure out a way that you know you can continue to work or just get really good at tiktok 
<laughs> it doesn't matter. I don't even know what that is. Well, but like, there's some dudes that I started with that. Well, I mean, I know what it is, but I don't know. I'm not on it. Yeah. But there's some dudes I, you know, started with that are big showrunners, like they're big writers to get into. You know, they went to, they got on the other side of it. Yeah. You got to be a real irresponsible, self-involved fuck to decide. Like, I'm just going to do the stand-up. Yeah. This is what's real. This is pure. It's me. Me too, man. I'm so glad I had this book, or else I'd be broke right now. (laughs) I made all my money off stand-up. Yeah, I couldn't, like, I, well, I'm, I'm fucking proud of you for writing the goddamn book, like Thanks, a real man. novel. Thank you. Jesus Christ. Like, you know, I mean, I've, what, I just, I couldn't write for other people. Yeah. I couldn't see, you know, like now, I didn't even like to collaborate. That'll happen later. I'm bad at that. Yeah. I'm just, bad at collaboration. But now, like, you know, I'm doing the acting thing here and there, and it's like, you know, I don't know. You pivoted. It worked out, or I pivoted because, like, something, like, some weird cosmic timing finally worked out yeah <laughs> the desperation of talking to my peers that's right so this book you wrote in, uh, how long like uh, probably a year hmm. i wrote 150 words of a different thing and then the first chapter of this book was part of that and then i was like this shit's bad i'm gonna follow this guy around hmm. and then just cranked him out well i like that you know and i don't think it's just because i'm a comic that you, you know it's not so much you're rooting for him but you're like wow how far is this gonna yeah go you know where does this go and that the details about who he was you know in terms of these kind of guys the ex-wife the you know the sort of selfishness the kids that they don't know like all of that stuff seemed it it all rang very sort of true and the psychology of the character seemed to hold up i i, I know it wasn't gonna end well no yeah <laughs> i don't think anyone got their fingers crossed <laughs> i also don't like books that end happy no, I, I like this. I remind me of like uh, Bruce Wagner. If you ever read any of Bruce Wagner's uh-uh. book, oh my God, the ending of his first book, Force Majeure. Jesus Christ, you would like that shit, man. I would. I love bleak novels. <laughs> Bruce Wagner's. There's a. There's a few. There's a Hollywood trilogy, but Force Majeure, the first one, yeah. Um, <laughs> he got a little complicated. He's a real smarty pants. But um, but there's I like a when few. a guy talks about a book and they go, yeah. <laughs> it's like reading larry brown it's like this guy just risked his life for four (laughs) hundred dollars i love that shit and you gave me this book the cormac mccarthy blood Blood meridian Meridian. i gotta read it it's the best book in the english language i think wow at least in the american canon okay i think it's tops and i read moby dick and this is better wow Mm -hmm. so who are your so he's one of your guys cormac mccarthy and dennis johnson and Simon jones Mm mm-hmm yeah Cool. I read those. I read that book and Angels and this book, The Dig by Sinan Jones, over and over again while I was writing my book, just yeah. to know what a good novel sounded like. And, but you didn't find yourself glomming? Oh, dude, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't quite notice. I didn't. I I don't know those writers, so I wouldn't know. Well, there's a part in there where I start using colons instead of periods. Yeah, because I was reading Graham Greene. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading Brighton Rock, and I was like, "Damn, he uses colons really cool." I just like the consistency of the character and and where you took him. Like it really kind of like go somewhere and you you know there's like just the scenes like that fucking vibe of not that anybody needs to know this or that you you know it's just me or that i'm only going to relate to this but that 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 feeling of sitting around when everything everything is done just thinking like that shit's going to turn around if i could just get some blow or if you're on blow and it's 230 and you're like this is just about to happen yeah and there are no options no but real sad ones yeah yeah and what are you gonna do and that all that shit what was that weirdo the guy who rolled him is that based on a real guy so that's based on a guy in denver and that well he gets rolled right behind mouth house in denver in five your points. place yeah that old house i lived in and that guy is uh 
he was just a creep. He used to hang out at Mouth House and like smoke speed. He would steal all of our light bulbs and smoke speed out of them. Huh. Yeah. Like with the hat. Uh, what, he, did, what was he wearing? Did we, in the book, I can't remember. He's Is wearing he? like a trench coat. Right, right. Yeah. But he was a character. Mm-hmm. A creepy character. Yeah, no good. Yeah. He, this guy would wear fingerless gloves and a leather cowboy hat. Right, that's what, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a detail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and poor, uh, poor Billy Ray was too fucked up. Just looking for a party, man. <laughs> that's the fucking problem with He's that. He's a good zone. time Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> so... Tell me about the because I, I you know I don't I guess self publishing is a mixed bag. Oh yeah, it's very was, shameful. No, it's not shameful. I think it is. I was deeply ashamed to have to self publish this book. Huh. It's my biggest failure, I think. I mean, uh, Mishka got me an agent uh, who was very like powerful in memoirs, and he loved the book. And Who's then he, that? Uh, this guy Bird Leoval. Uh huh. Um, and he loved the book, and he sent it off to people, uh-huh. and they were like, "Who's going to read this book?" And I was like, "Well, fans of stand up will probably read this book." And, you know, most podcasts are hosted by stand-ups. So right. I could probably get on some podcasts and promote it. Yeah. And they were like, eh, we're not going to take a chance on your first novel. Take and a I, chance. At what, I mean, they, they don't give you any money for your first novel anyways. No. Taking a chance. And thank God I didn't publish naturally. Yeah, because the, achieved wealth. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the thing about publishing is that, like, then it comes out and then you got to rely on a goddamn, you know. Uh, Publishers Weekly. Well, no, but well, there's that in the Kirkin, Kirker, Kirkland, or whatever it is, Kirkus, Kirkus reviews. Yeah, but but the, but the in-house publicist mm-hmm. who doesn't want to be doing that job, no, and a lame-ass book tour mm-hmm. uh, that you know is not going to really sell books, no, you know. So wait, so so you self-publish? How how do you how do you do that? because like, it says you know the the uh, too big to fail press. Yeah. So that's just something you created? That's my publishing company, which is <laughs> just what I get my checks through now. Oh, so, okay, so you it's set up S-Corp. an LLC? S-Corp. Oh, an S-Corp? my father. Okay. He's stoked, he's cooking the books. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So to self-publish, how, walk me through the steps of that. So you got the full book, it's edited, you're ready to go. Yeah, um, and then I just did it through Amazon. Amazon KDP, you can upload a book to that. And pick well, out how do you? Cover. How does? Oh, really? You pick out a cover? Yeah, okay. Well, I had the cover designed by. Uh, you okay, know, friends and, they, and, and they just run it off per order. Yeah, it's like you know. They, how much do they charge? They charge like five dollars a book. Uh huh. Yeah, and then I order them in lots, and then people buy them off my website at samtalent.com. Uh huh. And then I'm able to I ship and package everything myself. But they can also get them on Amazon. They shouldn't. If you're a listener and you want this book, go right. ahead and get it at samtalent.com. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Because that Amazon doesn't give you a lot of money. I see. Yeah. So there's a ceiling to that? So I, Amazon gives me like, I think, $6 a book. Uh-huh. And then if you buy off my website, I make, I think, 17 Oh, great. After shipping and everything. Right. Yeah. What other merch you got? I got shirts on there. <laughs> I got sweatshirts. <laughs> I got beanies. <laughs> you can also go to cofungus.com and get uh, get some <laughs> mushrooms from us. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you're, you're moving the fresh mushrooms to the gourmet outlets? Fresh mushrooms and, uh, you know, you can get lion's mane as like, uh, what's that called when you take it to feel better? Oh, I don't know. What do you mean? You know, like GNC, not stimulants, uh, oh. supplements. Supplements. Yeah, they're yeah. a supplement. You have lion's mane supplements that Yeah, you make? and then also we'll send you a, a fruiting block of mushrooms and you can just put it in your kitchen and cut it open and you right. got mushrooms. All right, so where's the stand-up right now? <sighs> I'm an author now, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with that racket. <laughs> you lived the life through Billy Ray Schaefer. Dude, it's You've so retired. You like, hung up the hat. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I've listened to your show since you were doing like Pepitone at the end of every episode. Oh, yeah. You know, like way back in the day. Yeah. And 
I've always like, yeah, dude, I got to get on Marin. Like, this is a big goal. You know, yeah, like, yeah. this feels good. Yeah. But to be on here as an author first in a yeah. comic second yeah. is totally a Marin experience. <laughs> where I'm like, fuck, man. If I knew I had to just write a great book, I would have done it a long time ago to get on here. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I would have found you eventually. I I think, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kidding, man. It's an honor for oh, sure. Oh, uh, yeah. But like, like the, there's a generation of comics who I don't know. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I wish I did. There were, I felt like there was a time where I knew everybody. Yeah. But that was a long time ago, and I didn't know everybody. Like, I don't know who Troy is. <laughs> you know, but I, it's just a generational thing. But uh, but no one's doing much comedy now. It's weird, though, man. I, I don't... But how do you feel about... Because, like, I'm wrestling with a thing now where, like, I wonder if I'm done. Yeah. I think a lot of people are. Because, like... But also, not because of the COVID, because my last special, like, that's the best I can do. Yeah. And like I, I'm going to go from I can come from a different place. I think I'm changing in certain ways, but I'm not I'm not able to work through anything on stage. But maybe that's making my heart bigger because I'm not sure that getting up on stage four nights a week. You know, I think it's it's probably emotionally, psychologically more stifling than it is sort of uh, uh, growing. Yeah. I don't know. Well, also, we've had a whole bunch of time to, like, have introspection that was forced on us by not being out there and giving yourself away every night. Right. Because I, I don't know any other life besides being gone three nights a week, right. home for four, but right. I'm loving it, dude. Like, I, being with my wife, sleeping in our same bed. Yeah. Going swimming, riding my bike, like, getting healthy. Having a life? Yeah, having a legitimate life. Without, like, without, like that, well, here's the thing that I, and I talked about, is, like, like, I know no one's doing it. Yeah. So I can relax because right. so much of it is sort of like, well, fuck. Mm-hmm. He's out there. Every, yeah. I got it. They're out. I got to fuck. Right. You know, that kind of weird. I'm hyper competitive. I know exactly what you're talking about. Or but like I, you'll see your friend. You'll be like, oh, Shane Torres is at this club, but I can't get in there. <laughs> Fucking Sean Patton got Acme. What uh, the fuck? That guy Come kicked on. me out of there for like a decade. Yeah, I know about your Acme issues. That rules. <laughs> You're back though, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, man. <laughs> Take a breath, Mark. You got it. <laughs> it was also funny on your Instagram live, you were talking about the book uh, yeah. and I was like, oh, this rules. And then you were like, yeah, Sam Talent. Uh, I don't know if he gives a shit about my comedy. <laughs> I was like, come on, Mark. <laughs> Mentioning Stan Hope and Christ. Yeah, that's how insecure I still am. That's, a, that's the same with all of us. Like, I'm not in the book. Yeah. I didn't make the book. I know. But uh, but it is weird how that kind of stuff sticks. But yeah, the the reprieve has been kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But then I got on those Instagram lives to get that juice. You yeah. know, I still wanted that juice. Like of like the it was more. It's not about the audience. It's about the the thinking on your feet thing. Yeah, that's. I think that's what I miss more than anything else is the immediacy of having to like do it. Yeah. You know, and your body was getting some kind of drug response from it. I guess, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but it was just like I, I'd gotten so yeah, I didn't get comfortable, truly comfortable on stage until you know, within this last dec- decade, within the last, you know, I mean, I was faking uh, fearlessness forever, and then at some point it gave way to real kind of like, oh, I, I live up here, but it's not. It wasn't my whole career. It's like within the last. Eight years. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I'm the same way where I write on stage and I can't write a joke. I have to improvise. Right. And it's better that way. Yeah. But I, it's got to be a lot of stress on our hearts, dude. Yeah, you think? I mean, just think about that stress. 
Uh. Every night, that stress response that we're giving our bodies, sometimes but, but, twice but usually, a night. I know, but like usually when you get that first, when, when you, okay, so when you work like that, you've got the idea. So yeah, you put the idea out and usually that's enough to keep you going with it. So sure. you're getting a laugh on the idea. And then you're like, you know, let's see how that conversation unfolds. So after a certain point, it's not as much of a, of a strain on your heart because you're just trying to build on this fucking idea, right? Yeah. And that's sort of exciting. But also I'm in the, I always want to fucking crush, dude. Like I'm, oh, I, I need yeah. to kill when I'm on stage. Right. And if I'm not crushing, I'm doing everything I can to crush yeah. or I'm burning the house with me. Uh. I'm going down in a ball of flame. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I think I stopped thinking about crushing and was more like concerned with honest laughter. Like, you, you know, like, cause there's, there's a pace you have to maintain to crush. Yeah, Definitely. And like, I could see how that could be a strain. Whereas like, I just like to be in my pace. I don't want to, I'm not gonna, I I used to be that way. I got kind of got hit, I got hit. I got to crank it up. I got to put this one in there. I'm going to lose them. And like, so I I got to a point where I just sort of like, my pace is good enough and this shit's funny. I know I'm funny. So I want want it to be organic. I don't want to do the trick. Mm -hmm. I don't want to pace. You know, I don't want to. Yeah. Doing the trick does feel dirty every time you do it. Like when you know your trick, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, ah, oh, back here again. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, write a fucking joke, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Just furious at yourself. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you made fun of that guy's hat again. Cool, yeah. nice callback to this guy's hat. Oh, I used to do it at the store all the time. It's like, oh, fuck, it feels a little tight. I'm just going to open with those those ones that I know work here. Yeah, definitely. <sighs> then you just hate yourself. <laughs> While you're on stage, embarrassed well, if I get, at yourself. Right, if I get one good one, like, as long as I don't do the whole set like that. Yeah. But then you sort of rationalize. You're like, but this is a good joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, I still got it figured out. Yeah. What is it? It, there, it, it is a relief. So you're, how long have you been married? Uh, I've been married for since 2016. She's a doctor? Mm-hmm. Huh. What kind of doctor? She's a family medicine doctor. A general? Practitioner? Yeah. Mm-hmm. GP? Yeah, well, family specifically. Uh, She's her first year resident in Fort Collins. We're in Fort Collins now. My brothers that live in there. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's beautiful, man. It's a great city. He's liking it. Yeah, I'm really glad that we got in there instead of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Wow. The Mayo Clinic sniffed around her. Oh for, like, oh, for the residency. Yeah, you know? I was like, baby, I love you. I want you to be successful, but I mean, You're close to fail. family too, right? Yeah, hour away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my brother just, he's, uh, he just landed in Fort Collins after a lot of, uh, you know, he, he finally you know, kind of landed on his feet and he's digging it. Come through, man. I, I will, because he, he's like, you know, he's up there. It's beautiful. Do you like to ride bikes? Well, I like to hike. Yeah, you got it. Horse Tooth Reservoir? That's what I hear. But the bike riding thing, I can't do. There's too many guys my age with their little superhero <laughs> outfits on. They love it. It's ridiculous. It's their whole identity. It's ridiculous. Then they'll see me chugging along on my five speed. I just see them up on the hike that I take. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Do you call each other about the outfits? Who's this for? <laughs> I guess I guess it's easier on your shit. <laughs> They're coordinating. Well, no, to bike. Like, I hike and I can feel it, you know, beating my bones up. Yeah. I think the biking is supposed to be, it's better for your joints, I think. Correct. Right? That's why I do it. Hmm. Because I'm so immense. But how how far do you got to bike to get a good fucking buzz? Uh, I'll blast like an hour. Mm. You know, you just put in a podcast and mm. hit the trails. I played, I was on Zeppelin today. Oh, it was nice. all Zeppelin today. Man, I was blasting lightning bolt in the desert on the drive here. Yeah. Getting pumped. Good. Yeah. Is that the new Death's a new one? Oh, no. Lightning Bolt's this band that oh. I- I thought it was the new ACDC. No, dude. Oh. ACDC sucks. <laughs> well, they didn't used to. Well, these two cage fighters that I know from Arkansas, yeah. they were out at my house like right. a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I told them ACDC sucked and- 
they wanted to pants me and push me over. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, all the records, all the Bond records and Back in Black, but then I kind of drift. It doesn't sway and it doesn't rock hard enough. It's just big riffs. I guess, but I, I like the... Uh, it does. It, I think he swings. I think Phil can. I, I think I like that. I like that beat. I can. Yeah, yeah sure, man. For okay. sure. I, I'm gonna. I, I I appreciate your take on it, and I'm yeah. not gonna judge you on it. But I will. I will stand by the first six ACDC albums. I'm going no to disre- disrespectfully disagree with you. That's fine. <laughs> okay. All but right. tell me about this lightning foot business. Oh, lightning bolt. There's a drum and bass band that makes. Sorry, it. I just did the old guy thing. Yeah. It was this lightning head. That you- <laughs> <laughs> get half the word wrong. What is this lightning rod thing what's, what's that you this enjoy? Thunder knows. They're just—they're the most important band to me. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I love them. What, where are they from? They're from the same uh, Fort Thunder that John Dwyer started at when he was in Pink and Brown. They're out from Providence. Oh, from Providence, yeah. not that pre-Bay Area John Dwyer. Yeah, before he moved out here. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think I did all right with John. You crushed. Yeah, it was so cool, man. Yeah, I just got him to be himself. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got to slow that guy down a little. Because I listen to him sometimes in interviews, and I'm like, "All right, John, we all know you're the coolest guy ever. Yeah, let's just be a person." Yeah, it, yeah. it took a while. Well, I think the fact that we shared a a girlfriend at yeah, one that yeah. was a revelation. Yeah, she didn't talk to me no more. <laughs> It's all right. <laughs> it happens. You guys gave each uh, other what was necessary at the time. I, I'd like to look at it like that, but then you would think that through that, with that disposition, why can't we be social? Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Can't. Or at least say hi. Uh-huh. Or, let, or at least, why can I, I, why can I not uh, feel like there's another person out there hating me? <laughs> it does weigh on you. It all does. That, all that psychic trauma on your personal Christmas tree. <laughs> Dude, when you've lived the life, that's the one thing. Like Even in sobriety, it's like I'm, there's still- yeah, I'm not saying they're waking up hating me. Yeah. But there's still people out there where someone goes, Do you know Mark Marin? They're like, Ugh. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> like when you're talking about that Wagner guy's books. Just, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, 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 I know him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have no kids? No kids. What are you going to do? We're going to have kids. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess you're young. She's I've fought young. it for a long time. Well, now that you you, know, you realize you don't have to do comedy anymore. It's a relief. Like, now that you're like, I, maybe I worked through that. Yeah. That's the other fucked up thing about it, because I've always been a guy that's sort of like, uh, you know, don't say that comedy's therapy. It's not. But there's some part of me having this forced downtime where I'm like, maybe I work through it. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I can be myself. The therapy thing doesn't piss me off. When people call it art, I get upset. Oh yeah, yeah. I never copped to that. It's a you're an artist. Trick. I don't know if no. I'm an artist. I mean, like it, the only thing that makes me an artist is that I'm inconsistent. <laughs> damn all right now i'm on board <laughs> you figured it out yeah that's the only part you know uh, the, uh, the rest of them are just doing the fucking dance yeah i'm well, glad to be in la and enjoying it because every yeah. time i come out here the it's, dread it's a nightmare yeah, for i gotta me. meet how long you been out uh i got here yesterday are you going right back or i don't know i'm gonna see some friends tonight you know it's hard right because of the covid Oh, yeah, I can see two of them, my Ooh. wife said. Oh. Chris Charpentier and Danny Moppin, a couple of buddies. I usually come out here, though, and like I'll be auditioning for something mm. with a bunch of young, precious comedians. Yeah. And I see their act, and yeah. I'm like, I'm going to fucking bury them. And yeah. I get out there and do my act, and people are like, what the hell? Chill out, man. Well, that's the thing. is like if you're too funny, yeah. then they're like, yeah, they're like, we don't get really, you know, they don't see you. Yeah. Unless you're sort of half tanking, mm-hmm. right? Because if you just kill, you're like, oh, I'm the guy doing the job. Yeah. You must I be the, the other job. guy. Yeah. yeah. That's that great line in fucking The Departed. It's like the only good line in The Departed 
where uh, where they fuck up the sting. We don't got c- cameras around back. We mean there's no cameras around the back. Yeah. And the guy goes, "Who are you?" It's like I'm the guy doing his job. You must be the other guy. <laughs> yeah, Alec Baldwin's so good in that movie. That was that was Marky. Oh, okay, I, and he that was Walt, Mark. Mark. Yeah, but Baldwin was good. Yeah, but Wahlberg, I'm always like when Wahlberg sinks his teeth into something, it's fucking good. I can put that movie on, and my wife's ready to go. What Departed? Yeah, she likes it. She really likes that movie. I, you know, it's a little fragmented for a Scorsese movie, but I do, I do enjoy the performances. She gets worked up. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. like. But it, the only problem with the with it is, is like. It's like Nicholson is like a clown. Oh, for sure. He's it's just like it's sure. done. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They could have, you know. It's yeah. it's almost like it's bad. He's just doing eyebrow acting the entire movie. But it's just movie. like when he's throwing up the powder, I'm like, come on. Yes. This isn't for you. <laughs> <laughs> Chill out, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, how do you feel? We feel we, we did it? I think so, man. Yeah. It was, it was great seeing you. It's great talking honor. to you. Yeah. And, and uh, remind me, I'm going to give you a mug. I don't get to hand out the mugs anymore. Okay. So you get to have one of the uh, Brian Jones uh, special hand-thrown mugs for the guests. Man, that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a true joy. Yeah, it's a tradition. But hey, by the way, listeners, yeah. buy that book at samtalent.com. Oh yeah, it's a great book. Like, you did a great job. And uh, and you're a real writer. And I was I was uh, excited to give it to my friend Sam Lipsight, who I respect a great deal. Yeah. he's Because he's a lofty guy. He's a, he's one of those guys. He, you got some of the same talent, uh, same uh, heroes. He's a big... Um, Who's the guy you mentioned? Dennis Johnson. Denton, Dennis Johnson, Barry Hanna. Oh, Barry Hanna. Stanley Elkin. Yes. Those are all his guys. I got to hang out with this guy, man. Yo, he's great. Yeah. He, you don't have any of his books? Uh-uh. Oh, I got to give you one of his books. That's the thing about books, man, is there's so many. But he's a guy, like, he's got he's got tight tone, tight voice, funny, dark comedy stuff. Hand it over. Oh, fuck, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll dig up a book for you. For all right. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't have to sell it again. I'll sell it when you're gone. Thank you. Good talking to you, Sam. You too. There you go, man. It's funny that all the live ones I've done over the last year were are, are really with comics, except for Wayne Coyne. Isn't that right? I think it is. The book is Running the Light. You can get it at samtalent.com. That's talent with two L's. I'm going to grind out a little uh, Christmas carol here on my new uh, Gibson SG Captain model. Uh, it was a gift. It was a beautiful gift. And uh, the guitar was, and I just got it, and I've got to figure out how to wrap my brain around it. This is straight into a dirty tube amp. This is only one sound of the seemingly endless number of sounds I can get out of this motherfucker. It's black with gold hardware. The Captain SG. Dig it. I ain't no Bonamassa. <laughs>
Boomer lives. Monkey LaFonda. Cat angels everywhere, man. Cat angels. Happy holidays. Thank you.